Well, I want to draw your attention to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 17, verse 17 and go down to, to the first verse of chapter 4. Really, uh, chapter 4 verse 1 is, is very closely connected with the end of chapter 3. And so, really, we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't leave off chapter 4 verse 1 with what we're going to be reading. Let me read this to you, starting in verse 17 of the letter to the Philippians in, uh, in, in chapter, chapter 3, verse 17 of the letter to the Philippians. It says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Back whenever I was, I know I've told you this before, or some of you have heard it before, but then again, if it's like most of the things I've said in sermons, you've already forgotten about it. But anyway, but uh, I, was, uh, I was in my sophomore year in college whenever the Lord saved me, and it was uh, really about when that my junior year should have started that he called me into the ministry. So I decided it would be a good idea for me to change majors in college. And so I thought maybe it would be good if I knew something about the Bible. So I enrolled at what was then called Dallas Baptist College. Now it's Dallas Baptist University. And whenever I went there, the head of the religion department was a little man named Fred White. He was about 62 years old at the time. He probably weighed all of 130 pounds with his boots on. I mean, he was, he was not a very big fella. Matter of fact, he, he, was a, he ran track competitively until he was well into his 80s. He, when, he was in, when he was in his 60s, he could outrun most high school boys. I mean, really, he was something else. But he was a colorful person in some ways. He was a proud native of Tenny Hall, y'all. I mean, and he was never going to let you forget that. And he never tried to lose his, well, he never did lose his East Texas accent. And if you want to know the truth, he didn't want to. And uh, he would always kind of come across as being almost like a hayseed that he really didn't know that much. But after you hung around him a little bit, you knew that he did. He was full of old stories that, and tales that he loved to tell. He was always laughing and stuff like that. He was really one pretty sharp cookie, though. I mean, he majored in New Testament Greek. That's what he got his doctor's degree in. So, you know, he didn't fall off the turnip truck on the way to, into town. But he always just came across as just this good old country boy. Well, in one class, well, you know, whenever you're going, whenever, even if you're taking your religion major, a Bible major, you're a seminary student, you know, you may think of it as the angel factory. If so, there's a lot of those angels that need to get their wings clipped a little bit. And there was one in this one particular class. And I don't know, you know, what set him off one day, but he just decided to dress Dr. White down in front of the whole class and basically told him he was just a stupid old fool. 
And he went on this rant, and he went on and on and on. It was kind of embarrassing to the rest of us students in there. And Dr. White just sat there behind his desk and just looked at the boy while he was talking, and he just was nodding his head like that. And he let the boy just talk himself silly. And finally, when the boy quit, you know, finally ran out of insults to, to cast at him, he quit talking. And then Dr. White, he just kind of looked at the rest of the class, and he said, well, you know, some people feel that way. And he just went on with his class, went on with his lecture. I don't know how he was able to do it. I know what I would have liked to have done if I had been Dr. White. I would have liked to have gotten up and just strangled him. But, but I do know this, and this is the thing that I remembered, was that I thought, I think I know who the real man is in this argument. I know who the real man is in this class. And I thought, I'd like to be like him. That's the kind of a guy that I would like to be like. And the more I, and the longer I stayed at Dallas Baptist, the more I thought of him, the more admiration I had for him. You know, we had several professors that were on the religion, uh, in the religion department, but Dr. White's office always had a line of students waiting outside to talk to him. As a matter of fact, I know this may be a little bit crude, but his son was telling me, he said, he said sometimes daddy would complain that he couldn't even go to the bathroom without someone following him in there to ask him questions. <laughs> but I know what would happen is whenever you would be in that line, whenever your turn came to go inside, you would walk into the door and he would say, close the door behind you. And then you would sit down and he would talk to you as if you were the only student on campus that day he never rushed to get you out. He was always full of good advice. And he was just a great guy. He lived to be well into his 90s. He was still running there to the end. Not real fast, but he was still running to the end. You probably met people along the way that influenced you. Someone that taught you became what we would call maybe a role model, or as we like to use the term today, particularly in church setting, someone that became a mentor to you, someone that showed you the way to live, someone that followed Christ and he could just say to you, you know, follow me while I'm following Christ. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about right here. It's because he's talking to us today about being citizens of another world. Our lifestyle should reveal that we are citizens of another world. This place right here is not our home. And all of those who belong to this other world, one of these days we're going to blow this joint. And we are going to be with our Lord and we'll be with our Savior. I mean, that's just the hope that we have. You know, uh, Les uh, Lindsay, that I want to call Leslie, I may just, I think I'm just going to give up and just start calling her Leslie, not get her mixed up with the other Lindsay. But anyway, but what she read from Exodus chapter 20, you know, that's the Ten Commandments. You know, the setting was Mount Sinai. But those were things that, those Ten Commandments, whenever they were first written down, they were nothing new. It was always wrong to kill. It was always wrong to steal. It was always wrong to commit adultery. It was always wrong to have another God besides the God who's the Creator in heaven and earth. It, there was nothing in those Ten Commandments that was a shock to anybody. Whenever they saw it, they'd have oh, oh my gosh, I didn't know. When, when, did, when did that become a bad thing to do? There was nothing like that. But if you look into chapter 19, you can see something. This was just something God was laying down. He was making a covenant with His people. And he said, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a righteous standard upon this earth. And this 
These are things that you are going to have to make sure that you do if you are going to represent me. You know, this is what that was about. And so this whole idea here is our character and the way that we show it is something that is, is showing us what, what's, what place that we're a citizen of. And so I want us to talk a little bit today about being a citizen of another world and in so doing, being a good example or being a role model. And one of the things that we see in here, it's, it is to serve as a good example or to serve and be a role model or a mentor. You know, the Apostle Paul, he just tells him, he said, you imitate me, join in imitating me. And this is not the only place in the New Testament where we find that Paul tells a group of believers in a certain town, he said, imitate me, do what I'm doing, follow me. Now, some people might say, well, that sounds like that Paul was pretty arrogant and pretty stuck on himself, but that's really not correct at all. In order to be the type of a person that's going to be a good and godly example, first of all, he has to be humble. Some of you may remember a basketball player named Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley was just a really great basketball player. I don't know what he's doing now. But I think he started off playing for the 76ers, then the Phoenix Suns, and then the Houston Rockets. Now, off the court, he kind of had a reputation of being a bad boy. I think he'd get into fights and stuff like that. And people were telling him, well, you need to, uh, you need to be a role model. And he said, you shouldn't make role models out of athletes. We're not supposed to be role models. But not every athlete thought that way because they, Nolan Ryan was the one who realized that if you're going to be an athlete, there's going to be kids that are going to try to copy you. You know, and he, he wrote a book about, him, about his career and about his philosophy on life back, I don't know, it came out over 20 years ago, and it was called Miracle Man. It's probably going out of print, but if you ever find a copy of it, I'd suggest that you get it. And in this book, Miracle Man, he talked about another baseball player named Lenny Dykstra. Some of you may remember him. He played for the Phillies whenever the Phillies, I think, won the World Series. Lenny Doxer was just kind of an obnoxious little twit. He really was. I'm sorry if any of you are kin to him. Anyway, but he was just... But the thing is, is he, Lenny Dykstra wrote a book about his career, and Nolan Ryan said it had so much profanity in it that it was not even proper to let a kid look at it. It was so filthy. And, and so... What it is is this, is whenever you say, I don't want to be a role model, you're saying, leave my life alone. I want to live my life my way and do things my way. If you're going to be a proper role model, you have to humble yourself enough to say, it doesn't make that much difference what I want to do with my life. It may, but it does make a difference about how I live my life to point people in a good direction. Humility is the first step in being a good role model. A good role model is never going to be the type of a person who demands to do as he wishes with his life. And a good example and a good role model is always going to seek to honor God and not to honor himself. The thing is, is that we need these role models. Because, and you say, well, why is it that Paul told people to do that? Well, have you ever thought that these people here at Philippi did not have nice little copies of the New Testament, much less the whole Bible? How were they going to learn the things that God had to tell them? How were they going to learn what it meant to live like Christ told them to, to, to live? Well, 
the thing is, is that Paul was going to be the Bible that they didn't have. You watch his lifestyle, you learn how to live. You say, well, but we don't need that today. I mean, you know, you can find a Gideon's Bible in just about any type of a cheap motel room or something like that. You know, we can go to the store and get one. Yeah, you can do all of that, but most people aren't going to do that, and they're not going to read it. You know, my delightful little wife here, who is getting back among the living now, is, uh, you know, back whenever Hurricane Katrina hit, she and our daughter were sent by the Henderson Hospital to Houston where they were bringing in people that were refugees from Hurricane Katrina and they set up a triage center right there. And they could talk to these people every now and then and say something to them about the Lord and there was, I know at least it happened once and maybe happened more than once, but she was talking to a young man out of New Orleans and was saying something to him about, you know, do you know about Jesus Christ? He said, who's that? Now, you think that people don't need role models? You think that people don't need that? Yeah, they still do. And we need that everywhere we go. So, you know, our life may be all that someone sees about what it means to live for Christ and to know Christ as a Savior. So we have to be willing to serve as good examples and good role models. We have to be like Paul and say, imitate me, follow me, because I'm following Christ. And we also, even if we consider ourselves to be a good role model, we need to seek to be, a, we need to seek good examples for ourselves. Listen, we all need godly role models. We do. Don't say that you've outgrown that. Don't say that you're so mature that you don't need anything like that. And you may say, well, listen, I, you know, I go to church every Sunday, you know, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need, you know, I have my own Bible and I can read that or I can just stay at home and read my Bible and I don't really need anyone to be a good example for me or be a good role model for me. Well, let me tell you this. You have a Bible and you may read it every year. You may read through the whole Bible every year. That may be something that you always do. And you can just say, all I need is Jesus and my Bible, and, and I'm doing just fine. Jesus is the only role model that I need. Well, that sounds really good on the surface, but understand this, is that you have your Bible, but don't you need someone to teach you something out of it every now and then? <laughs> Even the most educated preachers you've ever known they have a bunch of books. Why do they have bunches of books? Because they still need to learn things. They still need people to teach them things. And that's the way it is in our life. We still need to be around those people that will be a good influence on us. Still need to be around those people that know how to set the proper example. You know, and I know that I've had friends over the years that taught me a lot about what it meant to live for Christ simply by watching the way that they conducted themselves in public and even in private. We need to do that. You and I need good role models. We need to search them out. And let's not be so arrogant to say that, we, that nobody can teach us anything about that. And also is this, is don't refuse to seek role models because you say, well, I'm not going to follow someone that's imperfect. All I'm going to do is follow Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. Paul, was he perfect? Hmm? He, had, he had a few flaws of his own, didn't he? 
he could be a little curt with some folks. As a matter of fact, he was with the high priest there in Jerusalem whenever they brought him in for questioning. And uh, Paul said something, and the high priest told the guard beside Paul, he said, slap him. And Paul kind of lit into him. He said, God will slap you, you whitewashed wall or you whitewashed tomb. Probably not the nicest thing that a Christian could say to someone. As long as we walk on this earth, we're not going to be perfect. But I will tell you though, this, is that we can still find those people that are imperfect, that are learning, that are growing, that are seeking to be like Christ, and we can watch them develop. <laughs> and we can learn things from them about how God worked in their lives to bring about more Christ-likeness. We're going, we need to be role models, but at the same time, we need to find role models that will enable us to be what Christ wants us to be. But what we, but so why is Paul talking about this? Why is he bringing this whole idea up of saying, you know, you need to uh, imitate me, join, come together and imitating me? Well, the reason is, is because we have plenty of bad role models. And he said, there are people in here, as a matter of fact, let me put it this way. He says, verse 18, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, who these people are, we think that maybe they would be what we would call Christian libertines. In other words, they, they use the label of being Christians, but they just say, you know, Christ has set us free, and so we're free to do just about anything that we want to do. You know, throw morals out the window. Just as long as we say we love Jesus, we can do whatever we want to do. You know, and that's... And Paul says, someone that says that is really an enemy of the cross. You know, because it would be like this. There's one man, there's a story that was told about him and probably was true because he was just a pretty irreverent person. But as he lay dying, a minister came and said, do you think that whenever you die that Jesus is going to forgive you of your sins? And he said, of course he is. That's his job. Well, let me tell you something. That is flaunting the way, that your lifestyle, and uh, it's not the way that we're supposed to look at things. You see, you can be an enemy of the cross and claim the cross. And uh, to, to refuse to bear the cross makes one an enemy of the cross. Don't forget that. Because... You are not a friend of the cross of Christ if you don't want to bear the cross. Think about what he says about these bad examples in here. He said, first of all, that their end is destruction. Those who are enemies of the cross, they have a date set in front of them, and it is the date of their death, the date of their destruction. They have no permanent future. A bad example is someone who is, whose God is his belly, as it puts it. And that means he just worships his own desires. And it doesn't have to do with just food. It may have to do with buying all the trinkets and the things that make your eyes twinkle. It may have to, uh, worshiping your belly may just have to do with any types of illicit desires and things like that. Someone that worships his own d desires is someone who worships the things that are going to get him in trouble. A bad example is one who boasts in what is shameful. 
you know, I think one of the things that we see about our society today is that it's, it's, it's still almost shocking what we will hear people talk about on television. You know, I really don't get into these talk shows. I, I just don't. I mean, I don't really give a riff about watching that. I mean, it's just not really very interesting. But it is almost repulsive. When, evidently, they talk about them talk shows because you read about it in some newspaper articles that someone gets on there, and they talk about all of the licentious deeds that they have been committing and how much fun it is. And, they, and they're really bragging about all of this type of stuff. And it is really sad whenever you find someone who glories in his shame. Then we see a bad example is someone who lives for what doesn't last. In other words, it says that their minds are set on earthly things. Therefore, whenever a person turns away from the cross, whatever he finally lives for is something he's finally going to lose. And then the apostle kind of winds this up with telling us to keep a proper perspective. We can't live like this world if we're not part of this world. You know, we don't belong to this world, and therefore we have no business trying to fit in. Our glory is not in our shame, but our glory is in the cross of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make any difference what things you've achieved in life if you know Jesus Christ. That is the foundation of your glory. Some of you may remember this man. I heard about him back in the early 60s. And his name was Paul Anderson. Paul Anderson at one time had been an Olympic weightlifter, representing the good old USA. And the year they did it, I think it was back in the 50s, he, uh, he won, I've forgotten how many medals, gold medals and stuff like that. He had, I got to see him one time in person. And uh, I saw him once on television and found out the opportunity to go see him in person. I, I went there. He was a, he looked like a bull. I mean, he was huge. He was five foot eight. I think he weighed about 350 pounds. His biceps were 24 inches. His neck was 24 inches. And this was not fat. This was just muscle. Uh, he, uh, one of the things that I saw him do is he picked up a, a pine board and then he picked up a, a nail about that long, put a cloth in his hand to protect his palm, he said. And he held that nail like so. And he held that board like that and he went wham! And about that much of the nail was sticking through on the other side. Saw so him do this, he had what we would think of as a long dumbbell, not barbell, and he put a little over 200 pounds on it. He reached down and picked it up and brought it to his shoulder and just started pumping it like that. He, I've forgotten what record he set in the cleaning jerk and some of those, but there was one thing that he held a record in for a long time and it was how much you could lift on the back lift where you would bend down and you could raise it up like that. I can't remember how much it was. I think it was about the weight of a 1961 Buick or something. I mean, I'm serious, like 5,000 pounds or something, huge. And he could lift it. The first time that I got to see him was on a television talk show. That was back when they weren't so steamy. 
And the, the host on there said, well, of all of your awards and medals and trophies that you've won, which is the one you're most proud of? Now, I didn't know anything about him when he said, until he said this. I thought, oh, why? And he said, well, he said, I have won a lot of medals and a lot of ribbons and a lot of trophies. But the thing that I am most proud of is that years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Now, that was on national TV. And the host kind of stuttered and stammered when he said that. And that was what he, Paul Anderson did after he got out of the Olympics. He began going around telling people about Jesus Christ. Now, whenever you've got a guy that can pick up more weight than what you weigh and just kept pumping you up and down, you know, you're going to listen to someone like that. And you're not going to make fun of him either. As far as I know, I know he died probably 25 years or so ago. But I talked to a guy that was in a, a group that was Christian christian oriented and they did a lot of athletic stuff and i asked them about paul anderson they said well he died but he was still doing things with them before uh, up until then like pulling a freight train down the tracks or something seriously but isn't that something his glory was not in metals his glory was not in things that were going to corrode or be forgotten his glory was in the cross of jesus christ and that's where our glory ought to be yes listen our, our glory is in the cross, and our destiny is eternal life in a new creation, and our worship is of Christ. Remember this. We must worship someone who is above us because we never rise higher than the object of our worship. You never do. Our kingdom, our homeland, our commonwealth, our citizenship is in heaven. And there's no way that you can live like you're hellbound and claim to be a citizen of heaven. Our hope is in Jesus Christ because he is the only one who can give us hope beyond today. Because he is the only one who has conquered what kills us. And in order to do this, in order to be a follower of Christ, in order to be a role model, in order to do all of these things, and in, in order for us to be all that we ought to be, and in following the right examples, what we have to do for is this, is we have to stand firm thus in the Lord. Living for Jesus Christ has never been said to be easy, at least not by those who have tried to do it. It is going to be difficult, and you're going to find people that are going to be uncomfortable around you, and they're going to want you to quit doing what you're doing because you just make them feel so stinking uncomfortable. Understand that. In order to live a life that is Christ-centered, you're going to have to dig your heels in every now and then and say, this is the way that I'm going to do it. The world may not like it. My friends may not like it. My family may not like it. But the one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm, he is going to be the object of my worship. His glory is the glory that I am going to praise. This is what I want to do. I'm going to follow him. And I don't care how much it costs me down here because I have treasures waiting for me in heaven. And one of these days, one of these days, he is going to come back. And he's going to take this creaking, achy body and it is going to be transformed to be like him. We don't know all the things that await us in the future when we follow Christ. All we can say is this, is we're going to be like him. 
And that's going to be great. That's the best thing that anyone can ever offer you. Now, what does your future hold? If you know Christ, all that it holds is, is a life that's going to be even better than what you know here. If you don't know him, if you have not truly embraced the cross of Christ, you don't really have much to hope for. You have nothing to hope for. You have an appointment with death, and that's as far as it's going to go for you. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can turn your life over to Christ. You can call upon Him to be your Savior. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you want to know more about how to do that, please let me talk to you when the service is over with. As always, I invite you to come up here. I will be up here at the front after this is over with, and I will be glad to talk to you. I'll talk to you all day long if you want me to. But uh, I invite you to do that, please. Make the decision to follow Christ today. Claim the cross as the only way that you can have your sins forgiven. Let's pray together. Now, our Father, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending your Son into this world so that we may know you and we may have a hope that goes beyond anything we can find in this life. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us and many times that we have... We have rejected you and turned away from you. But Lord, we thank you for, for saving our souls too. We thank you also for people that we've known along the way that have shown us something about what it means to really follow you and how it, what it means to overcome things that are wrong in our lives. Now, Lord, let your hand be upon us as we leave this place. Give us more determination to be the example that we ought to be and to follow the right examples and to glory in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen.